0: Employee wellness has never been more important. The public health emergency placed extreme pressure on the mental and physical health of everyone and it really scrambled the workplace. Employers and wellness providers have been working hard to determine how to help going forward. Hi everyone, I'm David Williams, president of strategy consulting firm Health Business Group and host of the Health Biz Podcast, a weekly show where I interview top healthcare leaders about their lives and careers. My guest today is Nipa Patel. She's CEO of WellRight, a leading employee wellness company. I've gotten to know Nipa and her company over the past several months, and I'm excited to have her on the show. If you enjoy this episode, please press that like button and subscribe. Nipa, welcome to the Health Biz Podcast.
1: Hey, David. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. No,
0: it's a, it's a real pleasure. And you know, there's nothing better than wellness as far as I'm concerned. So it's a, it's a good conversation. Yeah, it's
1: easy to get behind, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, There's not, it's like... You know, they say mom, apple pie, and Chevrolet, that, you know, and wellness. Those are the things that we like. Let's Before we talk about wellness, let's talk about uh, how you got to your, your current spot. I'd like to go all the way back and ask you about if there's any childhood influences that have stuck with you uh, to this day. Well,
1: the, it's a good question. I'm not sure there's any one singular moment, David, but, you know, I've, um, I'm the daughter of immigrants, so who came from India in the early 60s. And they're now thankfully healthy and in their mid 80s. And so one of the things I think I attribute to their health and happiness is they, uh, you know, we had a pretty simple lifestyle. They were vegetarian. We had a really strong family and friend community in Jacksonville, Florida of all places. Yeah. uh, Which is where I grew up. And, um, you know, I think they just lived a very happy, healthy, hardworking lifestyle. And, you know, frankly, it was was pretty uneventful, right? It was was not one sort of magic moment that uh, drew me into healthcare. I worked at a couple of hospitals and saw, frankly, that there was a lot of inefficiency there, thought I wanted to be a doctor. And then I ran into organic chemistry and decided I I didn't want to do that anymore. Uh, but really loved math and economics and like solving business problems. And so, you know, ended up spending 25 years in healthcare as a result of that. So, you know, that's a,
0: that's, that's a pretty good formula at me, but you know, some of the people that I interview have some sort of trauma that occurred in their, you know, in their childhood, either yeah. to themselves or, or a family member. But I think it's totally fine to have like a happy and mellow childhood and then you know do wellness. You know, you don't, you know, it's like it's a good I, I recommend it, you know, and I, I wouldn't yeah. say you lost out on anything by not no, having too many. I, I know, don't traumas. think
1: so. I, you know, I spent twenty-five years on the on the business side of healthcare. Yeah. And I did a lot of, you know, not very glamorous things in utilization management and thinking about yeah. health control and, you know, when presented with an opportunity to focus on health and wellness. I, you know, I thought that was a really good thing to go after. That's uh, what I spent 25 years trying to get to, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's good. So, so it sounds like you ran into organic chemistry. So it sounds like you're pre-med or something along the way. When you, when you ran into it, then which direction did you go after uh, smacking into that? Well,
1: I, you know, I, I was a bio and econ major. So I still really enjoyed the kind of the, the healthcare aspect, but really liked the business, solving business problems. And so went on from undergrad to get my master's in health administration and really focus on the healthcare industry and how I could put sort of some of that business problem solving um, stuff that I liked to the test.
0: And you talked about, you know, spending 25 years or so on kind of the administrative uh, side of things. What were some of those things I saw? You know, I recognize some of the acronyms on your on your resume, BCBS, AIM, IPG, you know, what's what What were all those? <laughs> yes. about? Those are all the uh, three-letter acronyms, except I guess BCBS gets a fourth letter. Yes, in there,
1: exactly. so. it's definitely in the alphabet soup of healthcare, right? So I yeah. spent a lot of time on the payer side, spent some time on the provider side, sold a lot of services to payers and providers, and it was all really interesting and fun and got to see, you know, I spent, I don't know, maybe 15 years on the payer side and then thought I should spend some time on the provider side to see if it was any different. And it turns out it's not that different. It's just the other, you know, it's just the other side of the dollar. And so, um, you know, but learned a lot along the way, had some great mentors and leaders that I worked with who, who taught me a lot of different things like, um, you know, how how to stand in front of a board of Blue Cross Blue Shield directors at the yeah. ripe old age of 25, and tell them what they should be doing with their business strategy, and then, uh, you know, some other gems like beats perfect. So how to make decisions quickly when you've got enough information. So those kinds of things have really sort of stuck with me. But it's, uh, you, you know, spending 25 years on the the healthcare side, I think, has really helped me to understand some of the complexities there, uh, which we deal with every day here and well, right, also.
0: You know, I asked you about your childhood influences, but it sounded like you had like a second childhood on the administrative side. You know, that's like this everything everything I ever needed to learn, you learned not, not if not in kindergarten, then at least in the utilization management business or you know or whatever. I like I right. like Done I like Dunbeats Perfect. I, I love Dunbeats uh,
1: Perfect, right? Yeah. That's one of my favorites.
0: Actually. That's a, that is a that is a good one. Um, So what is your takeaway in terms of things like, you know, utilization management, some of the various things that the payers uh, do? One of the criticisms of US healthcare, of course, is that one of the expenses is on the administrative side. Now, uh, these organizations don't just throw money at it for no reason. Are they, you know, they get what they pay for? Is there what's the value?
1: Well, I think, you know, frankly, I spent a lot of time on that, on those kinds of issues. And I think really it's just about how do you make the, the system more efficient? And so you can direct resources to the people that really need it, right? So that's how I think about it. It's, you know, there's a lot of unnecessary tests. There's a lot of unnecessary procedures. And so if you can really get to the crux of someone's issue and help them get there, get to a healthier, happier, more engaged life in a quicker sort of way without wasting sort of valuable resources, time, money, et cetera, then I think uh, you know, the heart, their heart is in the right place. I think it's, uh, it makes a lot of sense.
0: And so, you know, when you're talking about a lot of um, unnecessary procedures and so on, that it's sort of like a payer perspective. You said on the provider side, it wasn't that much different. Do they also agree with that? Or is it that they're, you know, it, or that there's just a, a lot of unnecessary prior authorization? Or what's the what's the perspective on the provider yeah, side? You know,
1: I think it's interesting. I think at first they're not thrilled with it, right? It's like someone's watching them and telling them what to do. But I think when you really get down to, are you doing the right thing for the patient at the right time? And are they getting what they need? That's sort of hard to disagree with, right? And so it's just a matter of how you get there and how do you make it less obtrusive in their the workflow, and how do you think about process improvement to get there? But I think the end goal of getting resources to the people that need it the most uh, that's it's hard for there to be disagreement on that.
0: yeah, I mean, I think healthcare is expensive enough that uh, from an overall standpoint, people could say if we could spend less and then actually be able to have resources for other other things that would be that would be helpful that's so. Right. That's it right. sounds good. But it also sounds like what you're doing now is more fun, if I may say so, in terms of wellness, you know, like wellness is is good. There's no, there's no it, argument. It is that fun. One.
1: It's like, it's uh, like I said earlier, it's hard to be, uh, you know, down about the wellness industry. It's really about yeah. how do you help people get the resources they need? How do you help people, frankly, not have to interact with the healthcare system by leading happier and healthier and more engaged lives. And if they are engaging with the healthcare system, how do you help them navigate it in the best possible way? So I think it's a lot more fun. It's it's fun to, frankly, lead a company of um, people that are really enthusiastic about wellness and health. And we've, uh, we've got a good team of a hundred or so people, but they're, everyone's, Everyone feels good about what you know, sort of what we're doing, which has been nice.
0: You know, sometimes when I'm I'm surfing around the, the web and looking at different companies, I interact with a lot of healthcare companies in my in my job and my life. You, you could sort of eyes glaze over as you go from one to the next. But I will say, if you look at the WellRight website, which I encourage you to do, you will see uh, that uh, what Nipa is describing in terms of the happy uh, people is reflected at least in the in the bios and the, and the little essays there. So I I do like it. I do I do see a difference. I'm interested on sort of when you think about wellness, I get the concept, but you know, what does it mean from a company standpoint? What, what does it mean for Wellright to to offer something? What what do you offer, and who buys yes,
1: it? We work with a lot of employers, uh, different sizes, small, medium, big, some large healthcare companies, for example, that really are interested in giving their employees a set of tools that can help them become. Happier, more engaged employees, and part of the way that we do that is we offer a platform that an employer can customize, a person can customize to meet sort of the person where they're at. So, what's important to you? Are you interested in financial wellness? Are you interested in in counting your steps? Are you interested in improving how much water you drink every day? Are you interested in mental health services? Are you interested in figuring out your purpose at work? What are you really interested in? And how do you uh, do you have a platform and a set of resources and coaches if you need them to help you um, make changes in your life and create better habits? So it's, it's actually pretty simple. So, you know, yeah. relative to our earlier conversation of other healthcare problems that I've tried to tackle and other companies I've worked with, this is pretty simple. It's a it's a pretty simple
0: concept. So you know, when employers are, are deciding how to spend money, they have different objectives in mind. A lot of times when there are things related to healthcare, they're saying, if I spend this dollar here, am I going to save $3 or $5 in healthcare costs? Yeah. There's other sorts of benefits that they just offer in order to be competitive or to have a happy uh, workplace. How do your customers think about uh, making an investment and bringing on you know, a wellness program? Are they trying to make it pay off uh, directly in cost savings? Do they see some other benefits from that productivity or whatever?
1: Yeah, I mean, you've hit on all those, right, David? So I think there are some that kind of enter the discussion thinking, okay, I'm going to invest in a healthcare or wellness platform that's going to reduce my healthcare costs for my employees over time. And it certainly contributes to that that discussion. But I think there's what we've found, particularly over the last couple of years, that there's sort of a shift in focus. How do I create more productivity in my workforce? How do I retain people? How do I engage people? How do I think about um, we spend so much of our lives at work? So how do I make the work experience better for my people and uh, for my team members? And so I think the conversation is, um, you know, we have a lot of conversations about ROI and value, you know, value over of investment, but I think the, the the focus, the singular focus on healthcare cost reduction, has broadened over time, and I think that's the right direction. I think it is more comprehensive than that.
0: I've seen some things in particular uh, you know, that people struggle with: uh, tobacco use and and weight. Are those part of what you are doing, and, and how does that interact with what else is going on in the healthcare system? I'm thinking particularly these days. You know, the whole approach to weight management has changed with some of these uh, medications that are that are out there that have a bigger impact than they were before, but are expensive and they also don't work by themselves unless you know they've got the proper supportive care around them.
1: That's right. Yeah, I mean so, you know, I think you know David, you and I've been in healthcare for a long time. I think when these programs first started, right? I remember handing out pedometers when I worked at the Blue yeah. Shield Association and they were really cute and they were blue and we had a program called Walking Works and it was about, you know, counting your steps with that pedometer and then Tobacco cessation came came along, and so I think those are certainly part of the program. But I think what you're um, what we're seeing is that people want something more comprehensive. Uh, it's not just about those two dimensions. It's also not just about weight loss. But if you are entering into a weight loss journey, you know how do you how do you keep that up? How do you create a habit? How do you maintain that? And so there's different tools and resources available. You either you're self-motivated and you kind of do that yourself. We also have coaches that can kind of help you and help track along with you. And so I think, you know, what we try to do is present information and different ways to access that information so that you as an individual, if you're a visual learner, you can watch videos. If you'd like to talk to somebody, you talk to somebody. And so I think there's lots of different ways to kind of keep people engaged and motivated. Um, that I think if you have a platform that can help you do that, there's a lot of good things that can come from that. Yeah.
0: You know, you're reminding me of the old days of the pedometers and all that, which were fun to have, but uh, you yeah. know, it was a kind of a weird device and people didn't necessarily have them. And the, and the people who had them, you know, they probably were already taking a lot of steps anyway, if they were That's doing right. that. Now, now it's happened, you know, you so used to be very difficult. How do you get that in somebody's hands? How do you get them to use it? They would stop using it. Now everybody has a cell phone. And how has that changed what you're doing? You know, so on the the one hand, it it solves the problem that everyone's got it. On the other hand, there's a lot of free wellness things available, not associated with the employer. There's data data security and privacy issues as well. How has that changed the game?
1: Well, you know, I think a couple of different ways. So certainly with the cell phone and having a mobile app, there's just more accessibility to programs and services that you need. You know, we have an interesting thing where a lot of our... um, you can, you know, track your steps on your Apple Watch, and it kind of uploads directly into our our platform. We can, you can also text things back and forth. So if you've completed a a challenge or you've, you know, drank sixty four ounces of water, you can enter that information, and it uploads into our uh, system. So I think, you know, just it's created a lot more accessibility. I think um, what what's unique about our program is that usually the employers Um, have incentives or kind of ways to keep people engaged. And so I think that certainly helps. And it keeps people, again, it's really about motivation and changing habits. And so whatever hooks and anchors you can use to keep people um, on your platform or using tracking information or thinking about at least thinking about it for a split second, like how am I going to change my behavior? I think that helps.
0: What are employers doing these days in terms of uh, trying to get people to interact with their, their peers, their fellow employees? Do these tend to be sort of, you know, each individualized uh, program or do you have contests, you know, who's going to lose the most weight? Or I, I know I, when I was growing up, the, uh, the wellness was I, know, I had a, a neighbor down the street and he, he struggled with weight a little bit. And so he used to do something with his coworkers where they would take a bet of who could lose the most weight. And they, so they do that bet one day and the next day, they, everybody would start bringing homemade cakes and things like that. Just They didn't necessarily want to win and lose weight. They just wanted not, you know, so the other people to you, lose. Right? Yeah. Is that, is that, is that still state of the art?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's certainly uh, organizations that embrace that a little bit more, though. There's a lot of competitions. We do that at Well, right? We do that, you know, not only competitive things like uh, weight loss or how many steps you've taken, I think- uh, we did something in the month of January where it was about like walking outside, which was great for my employees that live yeah. in Florida. It wasn't so great for those of us that live in Chicago. So, you know, there's there's friendly competition, but there's all those things that – ways to leverage a platform about like community giving, right? And so we do a lot of um, work together at WellRight where we give back. We do things together where we go volunteer, but it's also a way to stitch together our hybrid workforce where we're all kind of working towards right. – a particular thing together, it um, it does create. Particularly now, since we've all sort of shifted to this hybrid situation, it's, it's a way to stitch us all together, which is nice.
0: Great, you 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 uh, you went where I was going to go next in terms of the impact of the uh, pandemic, public health emergency, which is coming to an end uh, shortly. But that's had you know certainly a real disruption over the past two or three years, and. And then also presumably has changed the way, you know, work goes kind of forever. How does that translate onto the wellness sphere? There's both, I would say, an element of what it's done to people's health and wellness. And then, of course, the structure of the workforce, which you were just describing in terms of, uh, you know, where people are physically located.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what we saw certainly with as a result of the pandemic, I'm sure sort of started before that. But obviously the kinds of resources that people were looking for around mental health. You know, 55% of healthcare workers say they're burned out, right? And so when you think about what resources an employer needs to bring to the table to help facilitate some of those difficult uh, conversations and situations, a digital platform kind of helps you do that, right? Because not everyone wants to talk to their coworkers or colleagues about how they're feeling, but if there's a kind of an anonymous source on the end that can help you work through some of those um we certainly saw a spike in interest in a lot of those offerings. And then, you know, I think certainly with the the hybrid workforce and having people work remotely, again, it was just another tool to help people feel like they were part of a community and uh, feel like that they were all connected in some ways. And so that's going to continue. And then I think, you know, the other thing we were able to do is really push out information. So as you know, information was changing daily on, what vaccines Correct. were were important, and how you should be thinking about uh, bringing, bringing people back to work, and a lot of our employer customers were asking us for information, and how do you get that information out to your employees? And so it's a it's a good communication tool as well.
0: So employees, you know, certainly don't exist completely on their own islands; they're a member of the overall workforce. And then, especially when they're working from home, you've got the whole family as well, and and mm-hmm. the. The pandemic was particularly difficult on people that were already isolated, or those that were supposed to be in school and were at home, and and right. so on. How, how to what extent do employers think about the broader uh, family when they consider wellness, and has that changed as a result of this? You know, work from home and the overall um, impact of the pandemic.
1: Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily changed, but you know, one of the things that we've you know we do is we include spouses and dependents, kind of. In our program, because frankly, you know, we talked about challenges with your coworkers. Sometimes it's equally important to have a kind of family challenge around certain things, right? And our, our platform is pretty broad in terms of this, the, the kinds of wellness programs that we include. So it may be a financial wellness thing. It may be, you know, simple things like, did you make your bed? And that makes you feel better in the morning. Yeah. Kinds of things, right? And so I think um, including the family and aspects of wellness is super important. And again, it just speaks to how do you keep people motivated and how do you keep people on a track to change uh, behavior and create new habits? Um, So I think having that, that social, emotional support system is super important.
0: Yeah, I make the bed every morning, and I I was trying to figure out why do I actually do it, you know, and maybe it it doesn't make me feel feel like I
1: accomplished something. Yeah, at least I got right. Yeah,
0: at least I got something done. Right. Yeah, exactly. Check that off the list. (laughs) That's good. So I don't see a crystal ball on your desk, but I'm wondering if you are able to peer into the future and talk about the future of wellness. Uh,
1: I think the future of wellness. You know, look, I think um, we talked about it a little bit. Thinking about wellness more broadly is going, going to continue to be a trend. And so I think what we're hearing a lot from our, um, our clients and what we're focused on is, you know, how do you think about, again, going back to the fact that you spend so much of your time at work, how do you think about making resources available to your employees? How do you think about the broad spectrum of wellness? And so holistic wellness, I think it's going to become even more important. So we're we're not seeing RFPs that are singularly focused on physical well-being yeah. or or things like that or nutrition right there there is a broader scope and i think there's a recognition that there's um there's a lot of dimensions that contribute to how someone feels how you feel productive how you feel happy how you feel engaged and so i expect that trend to continue and then i think you know from a technical standpoint just making those programs more easily accessible and digestible. You know, our attention spans, I think, have, have shrunk. Yeah. Right? And so no one wants to watch a 15-minute video. Like, I think if you can get the gist of something in three minutes or less, you're in good shape. So right. I think that's going to continue to change as well.
0: Great. So the final question I want to ask you is about uh, any books that you've read and anything that you may uh, recommend. And I know if you want, you could go back to the organic chemistry textbook and you could recommend that people read yeah. that with a you know perspective. But if, if there's anything else that you recommend, love to hear about it.
1: Sadly, I, I, I think I may have left that book in my parents' attic. So okay. uh, that is not something on my bookshelf. So, um, so I'm reading two books at the same time, which may speak to a little bit of how I work. Yeah, one is uh, called the Crux. So I had the uh, our executive management team together last week, and the Crux is a book about um, how you form strategy, how you discuss strategy, on uh, based on challenges as opposed to based on goals. And so I thought it would be an interesting way for us to think about as we're planning, you know, our strategy over the next eighteen to twenty-four months. What are some of the challenges we see and how do we think about um, addressing those challenges. So that that was one book, which I read when I I feel like it. Yeah. Um, The other book I'm reading is um, a recommendation from my 12-year-old son, almost 12-year-old son, who um, was reading a book, a science fiction book, and none of his friends would read it. So he asked me if I would read it so he would have someone to talk to about it. So it's a book called Nixia for anyone that's interested. It's a triad. Really popular with the twelve-year-old crowd, uh, but so we are talking about that so we can have a little informal discussion. So that's uh, that's what's in my Kindle these days, David.
0: <laughs> yeah, that sounds that sounds good, Nepa. That's uh, those both sound very very reasonable books, and I will say that. Um, you know, on this podcast, a lot of the CEOs give me the same books that they've read. It's usually The Hard Thing About Hard Things. You know, it's like oh, yeah. probably one, one out of every three yeah. or four says that. So it's good to have some new ones uh, on the list because neither one of those has been mentioned uh, before. But may, it I'm surprised. I'm
1: really shocked that Nixia wasn't mentioned before. I don't
0: know. I have to check it out. It may be, uh, it may be again because people will, will see the podcast and, uh, and will read it. Well, Nipa Patel, CEO of WellRight, thank you for joining me today on the Health This Podcast. I appreciate it. Great talking to you. You've been listening to the Health Biz Podcast with me, David Williams, president of Health Business Group. I conduct in-depth interviews with leaders in healthcare business and policy. If you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite service. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe on your second and third favorite services as well. There's more good stuff to come and you won't want to miss an episode. If your organization is seeking strategy consulting services in healthcare, check out our website, healthbusinessgroup.com.